Jesus came to give us freedom, freedom. But you'd never know it by how most of us tend to live our everyday lives. We, we live in a cell, a prison cell that Jesus came to unlock for us. He made it possible for us to get up and to walk out of the bondage that we find ourselves in in life. And yet, very often, though the door has been opened, as we saw at the end of that video, we stay in the cell. We keep experiencing bondage. And it's crazy because when you truly do know Jesus, you, you really can know freedom. I mean, he's the one that said it. John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We don't belong in a prison cell once we walk into a relationship with Jesus. We don't belong in the same kind of life we had prior to Jesus. But that's where many of us find ourselves. And it's because there's this ongoing conflict. For those of you who are yet on your search to discover whether Jesus can be real in your life, whether he can transform your life, you need to know that part of the problem and challenge that you see in those of us who have already decided to follow Christ is that, that we have not yet perfected this journey. Part of the darkness and the flaw that you see in our expression of our faith comes from the fact that we have yet to truly claim fully the freedom that Jesus came to give us. And it's because there's this conflict, there's this war. We're, we're not yet free of the opportunity to still live in a prison cell. And Jesus talked about that in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said, the thief, speaking of the evil one, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to rob you of the life that God created for you. But I have come, Jesus said, so that you might have life and have it to the full, have it in all of its fullness. So we have these two competing realities that we can experience. The reality that we were born into in bondage, not, not experiencing the fullness of life that God gave us for. We, we have that experience still. Or the freedom that Jesus came to give us. And this war is constantly going on. And sadly, in most of our lives, we find ourselves still in prison, though Jesus unlocked the door. 
And what we need to do is we need to walk out. And that's what this series is all about, breaking out. Claiming freedom from those things in our lives that tend to be holding us back, overcoming us. And I think that you got, even before we said it on the video, just by listening to that song, what we might be speaking about this weekend, we're taking a look into anger, this thing that is a prevailing force in all of our lives. And I I know there are people who say, no, I don't have a problem with anger. That's not my problem. (laughs) That is malarkey. Just because you express it differently, just because you go underground, just because you can create the image of management doesn't mean that it's not something you struggle with because all of us struggle with it because of what it stems from, where it comes from. Here's the truth that I want you to see this weekend. Uncontrolled anger, and that word uncontrolled is very important to this truth. Uncontrolled anger robs us of our freedom and fulfillment, that which Jesus came to give us. So many of us are living outside of what Jesus came to give us, even if we believe in him, even if we're trying to follow him, because we haven't yet gotten control of anger. So we sit in the cell of our own making, though we don't have to. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, God says, In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil that kind of foothold. The enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy everything that God created us for gets a foothold into our life, gets a tackle hold when we don't control the anger that can well up into our lives. In fact, Jesus said it this way, John eight thirty four. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins, everyone who walks contrary to how God made them, don't be angry and sin. Everyone who allows anger to control them becomes a slave to that sin. I mean, you're just locking the cell door. You're putting yourself in bondage. And what we need to do is we need to break out. We need to claim the freedom that Jesus came to give us. But to do that, to to break out and to claim the freedom and fullness that Jesus came to give us, we have to, we have to get control of our anger. We have to get control of it. Uh, Aristotle was a philosopher, you know, a couple thousand years ago. And, and it, what was true of humanity then is true of humanity today. And it's why his words can still be relevant. He said, anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way, this is not easy. I'd like to be a philosopher. I mean, that was tough to come up with, wasn't it? Talk about the king of understatement. You know, everybody gets angry, but to control it, that's really tough. Duh! But it's true. It was true then, it's true now. It's tough to control it. But with Jesus, we can do it. With Jesus, we can overcome. With Jesus, we can be free. With Jesus, we don't have to live in this self-destructive way. But to experience it, we have to follow his ways. And, And so what I want to do is and this is the entire series, is I want to just share in conversation the principles that I'm learning to try and live in the freedom and fullness that Jesus purchased for me. And, and since he purchased for you the same freedom and fullness, I want to share it with you so that you too can, can walk in this. This is more like, you know, a couple of people sitting around at Starbucks or some lousy coffee shop that you might go to and, and, uh, and having a discussion about the reality of life. If we're going to get control of the anger that so limits us in our lives, the first thing we have to do is we have to identify the underlying causes for it. We have to understand that there are root causes, things under the surface that 
that really create that explosive stronghold in our lives. In fact, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, a man's wisdom gives him patience. Patience is the opposite of uncontrolled anger. It's, it's the ability to control oneself, and, and it takes wisdom. We have to identify the underlying causes. And here's what I learned years and years ago. I've never been able to think about or talk about anger in the same way since. Anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is, is not the first emotion. It's actually a secondary emotion. It's a reactive emotion. It stems from other things. In fact, anger generally develops as a means of helping us to, to cover up or to cope with other inside painful issues in our lives. And, and all you have to do is look at a real simple example of, of hurt in our lives, and, and you can see that anger is responsive. I mean, I mean, have you ever hit your thumb with a hammer? Ever done that? Have you ever been walking through a dark room with no shoes on and hit your toe in just the right way? And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm sure in that moment, as soon as you experience that deep pain, you by nature break out in a worship song to God, right? Is that what happens to you? <laughs> Start singing about Jesus and light and love and stuff. Bull roar, you know. Uh, I mean, you... But see, pain produces anger, Right? Anger is a reaction, but it's not the source. The source is the pain, the hurt. And the same thing happens when we get hurt emotionally. I mean, when, when someone betrays us or disrespects us or, or breaks a promise, they, they create all kinds of inside pain and our expectations aren't met. And what happens is in response to that inward frustration and pain, we break out with anger. It's responsive. In fact, studies have shown that one out of three divorced people, and this is relevant because so many people have been divorced in our world, and divorce creates, as so many of you know from your experience, so much pain and so much hurt. One out of three divorced people still feels intense feelings of anger toward their ex-spouse even 10 years after the divorce. I mean, still feeling the anger, still being able to respond in anger. Why? Because divorce is painful. And the real learning to that is that the deeper the hurt in our lives, the greater the potential for deep and intense anger because anger's responsive. So we need to identify the underlying causes. You see, because the same thing can happen with other emotions. I mean, so many people live in anger because of disappointment. Frustration, grief, guilt, these internal emotions are so painful that we have to turn it into anger. In fact, anger is easier to live with if you think about it. And the reason is these internal hurts and pains and disappointments and frustrations, they, they, they turn inward and they tend to keep daggering us and hurting us and destroying us. And so what we do is we, we turn it into anger, which then allows us to, to pour it outward into other people's lives and the other things. We become like a, a volcano that explodes and spews lava everywhere and it diverts the pain from us, but it causes all kinds of havoc on the outside. I mean, it, it, just think about a good example of this uh, in, in the context of marriage where anger can really plague us. Um, think about one spouse who's more of a stay-at-home person and, and the other spouse continually promises that they'll be there for them, that they'll come home, but they're continually late and they're not investing in the home. And what would happen over time is that 
that this person, when the spouse comes home late once again, not helping once again, explodes with anger. But what's really going on there? I mean, what brought them to the point of spewing lava everywhere? What, what do you think the first emotion was? It wasn't anger. The first emotion was disappointment, maybe loneliness, insecurity, because it's like maybe this person doesn't want to be with me. Maybe this person doesn't care enough to help. Abandonment. And you see, these, these emotions are inward, and they're so painful that we turn it into anger so that we can cope. But uncontrolled anger, though protecting us in the short term from the internal pain, ultimately leaves destructive junk in the wake of it that creates even more pain in the future, and it becomes this cycle of mess. And, and come on, we're human beings. We all live there. If you're thinking about someone else, you need to be thinking about you right now because this is our problem, not their problem. You've got to identify the underlying causes. I know you're angry I know you're in a perpetual state of anger, but what is it that causes it? Who hurt you? What disappointment haven't you dealt with? What frustration aren't you dealing with? And then if we're going to really keep moving forward and getting control of our anger so we don't sit in a prison cell of our own making, but we live in freedom and fullness, we, we have to correct our misconceptions about anger. Because we have all kinds of misconceptions about anger. We see angry people, and number one, we don't think we have anger problems. They just have anger problems. That's a misconception. And, and many of us have been taught, I know I was, that anger is always wrong. That anger is a negative emotion. And that's just not true. And we do this a lot in life. We, we live by myths and fables. The Bible talks about it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. They'll no longer want to know the real truth. Instead, to suit their own desires so they can live however they want, they'll gather around them people who will teach and say whatever they want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from truth and they'll turn aside to myths. And that's a lot, that has a lot to do with anger because we believe myths about anger. It's always wrong. It's always destructive. It's always someone else's problem. And we've got to fix that. Here's the truth. God gave anger as a positive emotion. In fact, God gave all of our emotions as positive forces in our life when used appropriately, but we've distorted them and we start using them dysfunctionally and they become destructive forces in our life. You see, anger gives us the capacity to have a heightened sense of readiness. It, it, it releases adrenaline in our life. Our heart beats faster. Our blood pressure rises. The pupil of our eyes open and it's putting us in a state of readiness. And, and we're so focused that all of the capacities and abilities that we have can be put to bear in the moment on that one thing so we can solve a crisis. God gave this emotion so that we could respond quickly and wisely and courageously and forcefully to special moments so we could overcome them and protect ourselves or protect our families. And when controlled... And used for appropriate reasons? My gosh, this is a very productive emotion. But anger is not a state that we're supposed to be in for long periods of time. Anger is not supposed to be a perpetual reality of our lives. And yet, come on. This is the world we live in, right? We're living in a world of such high stress and high anxiety and high busyness that we're, that we're always right at the surface. Anger's always right there. And we're living in a world where we've been taught to deny reality and create images that we're better than we are, to, to deny the things that are going on in our lives, to not deal with them, to run from them, to cover them up with stuff. And that's what we're doing. And as a result, that we're always ready to explode right under the surface. And it's destroying us. A good example of this is, come on, get in a car. I mean, if you're sitting at a light and it turns green and you take 
a millisecond before you touch, touch your right foot to the gas. If you I decided not to do it in this service, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's like two milliseconds, and they're we're in this constant state of thing, or something goes wrong in the home, and it's like it's like it's just crazy because we're always right there, and that's too physically demanding because over long periods of time, it begins to wear a person down, it begins to do damage. And this is why God says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let it become a destructive force in your life. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You're not supposed to be angry for long periods of time. It's supposed to be for short, momentary durations. And yet this is exactly what's happening. We're living in this place of self-destruction, and it's putting us in prison physically and relationally and robbing us of opportunities. In order to be a positive or productive emotion, we have to control it. Because when it controls, it destroys. So the key to utilizing anger properly is found in controlling it. But if we're going to do that, we have to employ God's principles for managing it. God's given us principles that, when applied and woven into our lives, can help us to get control of anger and to use it in functional instead of dysfunctional ways. Look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger. It controls them. But a wise man keeps himself under control. I mean, we're employing God's wisdom. And so I've kind of gone through and I've I tried to give simple descriptions for each one of these principles we need to employ so that I could remember them and hopefully it will help you remember them. But I don't want you to think that though I'm giving simple titles for them, that they're simple or that they're simple to apply because they're not. It's very complex. The first thing, if we're going to employ God's principles, get in control of our anger, is we have to be involved in some introspection. It takes introspection. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that's even funny to hear me talk about introspection. Like, yeah, oh, I'm the most introspective person. You know, I, no. But without introspection, I'll never know myself. You'll never know yourself. We'll never be able to figure out these underlying things. Look at Psalm 4.4. 4. God says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let it become a destructive force in your life. And when you are, when you're letting the sun go down and you're still angry, when you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. I mean, you've got to know yourself. It takes introspection. These verses are simply telling us that if we're going to manage our anger positively, then we have to be able to develop discernment about the signals, you know? We have to know the signals that start erupting when, when our anger is starting to get under control and we're going to have to learn to read and respond appropriately to them. The reality is that unless we can learn to identify when the anger is developing in our lives, we'll never be able to get control of it. Early detection is the key. The sooner you can detect it, the easier it is to stop. But once the lava is flowing, guess what? It's done. So we have to early detect it. We have to know ourselves. With me, and I'm not perfect at controlling my intensity, but with me, it's this internal intensity, I, this seed of intensity. You might, you, know, you might see me as a fun-loving guy. If you do, you don't know the real me. <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly intense. I can walk in a room and suck all the oxygen out in three seconds. I mean, it's crazy, right? And when the intensity starts growing in me, it's like it's, it's time to watch out. When I start sensing it growing, it's a sign that I need to start going through my pre-launch checklist. <laughs> you know, it's like, time to shut this baby down. And for me, one of the signals, and this is very true, I don't know if it's true for you, but sometimes it's not to do with anything but that I'm hungry. So I really deal with, I really deal with hanger. 
I get hangry. And you got to know, it's like, you know, in fact, when I've learned to control it a little bit better. I'm still not perfect at it, but in the early days of my ministry here, my leadership team, we'd be sitting around, and they knew me pretty well, and when the intensity started, like, becoming lava hot, you know, they would start pushing their food stuff across the table over to me, you know? It's like, you know, eat something, pal. It was <laughs> so, but we, we have to really do some introspection. And if we're really going to do something about it, then it requires hesitation. Once we've done introspection, we start seeing the signals, we start seeing something getting ready to erupt, then we have to push the pause button. It takes hesitation. Look at Proverbs 14, 17, and 29. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. I mean, just everything's flowing, but a patient man, someone that's in control, has great understanding. But quick-tempered man displays folly. It's not that the patient man doesn't feel the same sense. The patient man's just learned to push the pause button, hesitate. Since one of the destructive tendencies of uncontrolled anger is to do stupid stuff, to say regrettable stuff, to do regrettable things, it's wise to give yourself time to regain your ability to think rationally. If we allow ourselves to just respond spontaneously, we're going to respond wrong. And so we have to give ourselves just a moment. I have found if I can give myself just a moment, I can kind of, ooh, take a different course. But if I don't give myself a moment, I'm gone. And this is just a reality. There was a guy named Seneca years ago, and this is what he said. The best cure for anger is delay. That's true. The best cure for anger is delay. Now, some of you are thinking, like I used to, you just can't do this. You don't know me. You don't know my personality. I mean, come on. When it's in there, it's going to come out. And I used to say the same thing. You don't know how intense I am. How do you stop this intensity? But it's just not true. And you know how I discovered it in my life? Interesting circumstance. And you've probably been in this circumstance. Have you ever been, like, in a really heated discussion? I mean, the heat, the lava is all over the place. He's going, language is, you know, anger language. Tone is anger tone. And, and no one's thinking anymore. You're just in there. Have you ever been in that kind of circumstance? And then the phone rang? How'd you answer? I'll tell you how you answered. Hello. (laughs) You can hesitate if it's important to you. And you know what's important to us? Image management. We don't want them to know where the louses were being. And so we, we hesitate so we can put on image management, change their perception. If we cared enough about the person we're in war with, we could do the same thing. If we cared enough about not putting ourselves in prison, we could do the same thing. We can all hesitate. We can all stop for a moment and get control. And then once we've done the introspection, we know the signals and we've pushed the pause button, we're involved in some hesitation, then it's time for some evaluation. Evaluation. We need to assess the situation. Now, I believe that evaluation should be happening all the time before we're in the heat of the moment, but it needs to happen before we go too far in the heat of the moment. When we get angry, our mouth, at least mine does, usually becomes much faster than my brain, right? Because the adrenaline of anger is about action. It's not about thinking so much. It's about, you know, movement. And, and so my mouth, <laughs> which is my primary instrument, you know, bah! I mean, I, it becomes much faster than my brain. So I say all kinds of dumb stuff. You do too. It reminds me of a saying that's worth knowing. It's helped me a little bit. A sharp tongue is the quickest way to cut your throat. A sharp tongue is the quickest way to cut your own throat. 
Marcus Antonius uh, also said, Consider how much more often you suffer from your anger and grief than from those very things for which you are angry and grieved. I mean, take some evaluation. Come on. We, we're usually more messed up by our anger and its consequences than we are by the things that are getting us angry. It's nuts. Proverbs 13, 16, every prudent, self-controlled individual acts out of knowledge. I mean, we, we know what's going on around us, but a fool just exposes his folly. Proverbs 19, 2, it's not good to have zeal, passion without knowledge because it'll be out of control. It's not good to be hasty and miss the way. And so introspection and hesitation needs to lead to some evaluation. And let me just tell you a couple of things that help me. And once again, I don't want you to think that I'm perfect at application. I'm just not, but I'm, they help me to not put myself back in prison. I, when I'm in this moment, I have to ask myself, why am I so angry? I mean, wh why? And you know, it's very seldom about the thing we're talking about. Because remember, it's a secondary emotion, and so it's about some disappointment in my life, some frustration in life. Very often it's something at work that I'm carrying home and I haven't dealt with properly or some other relationship and I'm spilling it out on the people I love the most. It's just absolutely messed up and I haven't dealt with it. Why am I so angry? Is it hurt, frustration, disappointment? What? If I can find the real issue, I can start fixing the real issue. And I have to ask myself, what do I really want? What do I want? Because this is why it's so important to evaluate. I have never wanted to start World War III with my wife. But we're to like World War XVI now. <laughs> I'm just being honest, right? I mean, come on, we've all had these. I've never wanted to start a world war. I've never wanted to live in the guest room for six months. Never wanted that to happen. I, by the way, I've not lived in the guest room for six months. Five months was my max. No, I've never done that either. But you get the point. I mean, you have this friction in a relationship that lasts a long time. Why? And I go, why? Why am I doing this? And what do I want? I don't want that. So why don't I change tact so that I can get what I really want? And I have to ask, what's, my, what's the other person's view? I mean, what's this war about from their perspective? And I, I just try and step out of my own setting for a second, and it helps. And then ultimately, after the evaluation, you know what I have to do? I have to get involved in some alteration. Now, for those of you who really enjoy anger, I did not say get involved in some altercation. That's what we're trying to avoid. Altercation, easy. Alteration, difficult. By alteration, I mean we have to alter our focus. We have to change our focus. Look at, if you would, the, the truth of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If we're going to ultimately, truly start thinking about positive things, then we can start expressing ourselves in more positive ways. But if we don't change our focus, we're in trouble. The reality I found in my life is that uncontrolled anger is caused more about how I think about a circumstance than by the circumstance itself. Because I'm viewing it through hurt and disappointment and frustration and all that, and so it's not the circumstance itself. So when anger begins taking hold in my life, I have, to, I have to alter the lens I'm looking through from the negative to the positive, from myself to others, from the moment to eternal. I love how Helen Douglas said this. Character isn't inherited. One builds it daily by the way one thinks and acts, thought by thought, action by action. If one lets fear or hate or anger take possession of the mind, they become self-forged chains. Do you know why many of us are sitting in the prison even though Jesus unlocked the door? It's because we've made self-forged chains. Because we're not changing the way we think. 
Colossians 3.2 says the same thing. Set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things, not on momentary things, on things that are eternal. And it will change how you respond. And the ultimate principle that we have to employ is it's really all about determination. Determination. And by this I don't mean being determined and persevering. I'm talking about making a determination. We have to make a choice to to respond appropriately. Look at Proverbs 29.11 again. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. We need to make a determination. And what's the determination about? Once we've kind of practiced and employed these principles, if we're going to get control of anger, then the outcome has to be that we express our anger appropriately. We express our anger appropriately. This is why it's so important to correct the myth because we've been told and raised we should never be angry. We, we should never do, you know, have this emotion. We should do that. And so you know what we do in this world? We suppress our anger. Legitimately painful and hurtful and difficult things occur. Things where the short-term practice of appropriate anger is there. But we don't. You know what we do? We bury it. We hide it. We cover it up. And as a result, it just creates this boil in us that's going to be at the surface all the time. And if you find yourself always kind of expressing yourself in rageful kind of ways, it's because you, you're, you haven't dealt with the anger the way we've just talked about. We need to express our anger appropriately. Nothing wrong with anger, but as Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't lay waste to yourself and everyone else. We need to utilize the anger, that state of readiness, to express the courage and the confidence and the willingness to deal with the problem instead of creating bigger ones. It's a very important issue. And so what we do is we should go to the source of the problem. Who disappointed you? Who's frustrating you? What's the difficulty? What's the thing going on? Use that state of readiness to, to deal with that appropriately instead of just to blow. Look at Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, deal with the pain if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. I mean, you've dealt with the problem. There's no more reason to be angry. Some of you are going, I'm just not a confronter like that. I'm not a confronter. That's what anger's about. It's about giving you the confidence and courage to do what you need to do that you don't have normally. But instead, you say, I'm not a confronter, but what are the alternatives? The alternatives are that you just explode over everyone. I'm not a confronter. I prefer spewing lava that lays waste to everyone I know. That's not a good alternative. It's not a good alternative to bottle it up. It's not a good alternative to throw a pity party. It's not a good alternative to go underground in your attempts to destroy their reputation and how people feel about them while you're trying to look really spiritual and offer prayer requests on their behalf. It's just ridiculous. The bottom line is that you can't effectively deal with anger, nor can you truly obey God unless you're willing to address the real problem that's causing you anger in the appropriate way. And what's the appropriate way? Speak the truth in love. Have you ever met a person that says, you know, I mean, they're just killing everyone around them. And they say, that's just me. I just tell the truth. I just call them like I see them. That is a... There are words for stuff like that. It's wrong. Because you see, the truth is never meant to destroy. The truth is always meant to build up. And so even God's truth can be used in very destructive ways when it's not communicated appropriately through love. And so what we need to do is we need to express God's truth, but in love. And then, when we've dealt with all this anger stuff, right, 
there's still one big problem I found in my life. Because, I mean, I have to deal with the stuff in me, and that's what we've been talking about, all these principles, deal with stuff in me, not be angry, not do all that, and that's all good. But you know what can still get me going? When someone gets angry towards me, when someone expresses uncontrolled intensity or rage towards me, that fries me. Like, if I'm sitting at the light, and I don't hit the gas the minute it turns green, and they go, and all that different stuff to me. It's like, oh my gosh, I want to put it in reverse and run right over their hood. I mean, I just, it's like, you've got to be kidding me, right? And so we have to, if we're really going to get control of anger, we have to learn to respond appropriately to angry people. We have to respond appropriately to other angry people. And this is, not, I'm telling you, this is one of the most challenging Proverbs to me in the whole Bible. Look at Proverbs 15:1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Oh, crap. I mean, seriously. Because my natural response when someone's being harsh towards me is to be what? Harsh back. In fact, I'll show them. I enjoy a good wrestling match, but know this, I am in it to the death. I mean, it's crazy, and so it just escalates and escalates and escalates. And you know what God says? Here's how you respond to angry people. A gentle answer turns away wrath. It shuts it all down. But you know why we don't give a gentle answer? Because we're all living in the constant state of readiness and anger. We've not dealt with it properly. We have to respond appropriately to angry people. And when we do, we can take the air out of all of that. Now, those are some principles for dealing with anger so that we can walk out of that prison and enjoy our freedom and fulfillment that Jesus gave us. There's just one little problem with all of this, okay? It's all good, sounds great. But if you go out with what I've said already and try and practice it, good luck. It won't work. It won't. Just telling you, I've tried. It's all true, it's all good, it's all important, but on its own it won't work. Because, remember Aristotle? Go all the way back to the beginning of the talk. You know, everybody can get angry, but to be angry in the right way, to the right degree, ad nauseum, uh, it's not easy. He was absolutely wrong. Because it's not only not easy, it's absolutely impossible. Because all of our life is based upon the fact that we're wounded, we're messed up, we live in darkness, we've lost everything God created for us by our own choice of walking away from him and because every one of us has done it, we're always hurting each other. And so since anger is the only way we can ultimately cope with on our own all the hurts and the darkness and the stuff we feel because we live in this kind of world, guess what's going to happen? We can't control it. We can't. Which means if these principles are going to be applied in a successful way, there has to be a foundation that we build. Two prerequisites that are absolutely essential. And until you have these activated in your life, you'll never get control of anger. You'll always be sitting in a prison of your own making. And, And the first prerequisite is this. We need to be letting go of our guilt. We need to be letting go of our guilt. Because much of our anger is in response to the guilt and the disappointment and the darkness within Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage. Notice, it's all anger language. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Just get rid of it. And then it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now stop there just for a minute. I'll finish it in a minute, but stop there just for a minute. If there was a period after forgiving each other, 
this verse would be a joke. Yeah, get rid of all that darkness, get rid of all the anger, all the malice, all that rage and stuff. And just be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. To which I'd say, you give me a six-pack and I might have a chance at it, but outside of that, I'm not going to get it done. It's not going to happen. Which then would cause its own set of problems, right? But it doesn't stop with a period after and forgive them and stuff. Because look what it says then. It says, as in Christ God forgave you. As in Christ God forgave you. This is so important to understand. Go back to the beginning of the talk again. Anger is a secondary emotion. We live in the state of anger because of the disappointment that resides within and the grief and the loss and the guilt and the darkness and the betrayals and the rejection and we just expect more of the same and we just live in anger. But when Jesus takes it out of you, there's nothing to respond to left. There's no reason to be angry. We need to experience Jesus' forgiveness. Many of you that are here, not all of you, but many of you have already decided you're going to follow Jesus and you've, you've asked him to take away your sin based upon the fact that he died on the cross for you and you've asked him to give you new life based upon his resurrection and yet you still walk in a perpetual state of anger. Why? It's because though you have in the past asked him to take the darkness away, the guilt away, you're not daily experiencing the guilt being taken away. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. You know who that's written to? Christ followers. Believers. We're supposed to be just constantly allowing him to forgive us so that we don't have to walk in response to the junk that we're carrying inside. The reason we stay in that prison cell is because we're not letting Jesus take the darkness away and put his light within. And that's where we need to be. And I think many of us as believers need to let go of the guilt. Give it to him. Now the sad reality, and I'm going to end the talk in a few seconds, but first I'm going to pray and then end the talk. But for those of you who are here and you say, you know, I've never had that darkness taken away. I mean, I've never had all that guilt and junk removed. Religion doesn't do it for you. I can't do it for you, but that's what Jesus came to do for you. You see, he lived this perfect story, but then he died on the cross, not because of his sin, but because of ours. The wages of our sin is death and destruction and all this junk that we're dealing with. But when he died, it was for our sin. And then when he rose again, it was to give us this new life to take the sin away. But you've got to ask him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he'll forgive, he'll save. But you've got to call. And so just before I finish the talk, I'm going to invite all of us, if you would just honor the moment, to bow in a word of prayer just for a moment you'd pray with me. And if you're a believer, I think you have things you can talk to God about as it relates to this. But if you've never taken this step, while my praying for you can certainly be a good thing, it can't change you. But if you take the words of my prayer and make them your words to God, it can forever change you. Pray with me. Just say, God, you know the junk that fills me up. And I want to get rid of it. I want to learn to live in freedom and fullness. And so I'm letting go of my guilt. I've sinned against you. I've done darkness and I've had darkness done to me. 
But Jesus, you died on the cross to take it away. And you rose again to make me new. I'm calling on you to forgive and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I really want to encourage you. We've put together some materials that can help you take next steps in your journey with God. Let us know. If you're in one of our live experiences, just take the program that you were handed when you came in, rip out the connection card, and fill it out. And on the bottom, check that circle that says, Today I pray to receive Jesus. And if you did, there are boxes at every exit in all of our live experiences. Throw it in there, and we'll, send, we'll do the rest. We'll send you the information. And if you're watching Northridge On Demand, just hit the What Next button, and we'll do the same for you. But there's one last prerequisite. This talk is worthless to you unless you're letting go of the guilt first as a prerequisite and then look at Galatians 5, 19 through 22. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Our own behavioral patterns are obvious when we're doing it on our own. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. I mean, we're messed up. But the fruit of the Spirit, what comes when the Spirit's in control is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The prerequisite, if we're really going to get control of our anger, experience freedom and fulfillment, is that we have to be letting go of our guilt and then we have to be submitting to God's Spirit. Because doing it on our own, we're going to do all the anger things, but letting Him do it in us and through us, we can experience all of the freedom things. Submit to God's Spirit. In fact, I don't know how many of you are on Twitter, but if you're on Twitter, I'm going to give you a tweet, all right? This is a tweetable truth. We can't manage our anger until God's Spirit is managing us. We can't manage our anger until God's Spirit is managing us. I expect to see that in Twitter universe today. It's important. Let me give you the conclusion. All of us have a problem with anger because all of us have a problem with hurts and disappointments and frustration and difficulties and guilt. But none of us have to be in prison for it. Because Jesus made it possible for us to live free. We just have to let him live in us. And then we will. So glad you were here. See you next time, everybody.